This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, Nick Loper here from the Side Hustle Show. When I'm not helping people earn money outside of their day job, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and Joe's mom has everyone on their best behavior and wearing their best suits today because coming down to the basement, we welcome the former CEO of the NASDAQ Exchange, Robert Greifeld. Plus, Financial planning's latest financial wellness study results are in. And let's just say uh, some of you are going to your room without your after-school treat. But for the rest of you, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and save time for my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who are way too casual to talk to the former head of the NASDAQ, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Yeah, you probably should have shaved. At least. This is a neatly trimmed beard. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you think that uh, Robert's going to think that? Is that the first thing he's going to say? That's a very... Yeah, that, probably will, that, actually. That trim beard goes great with your t-shirt. Do you know I'm the head of a major exchange? Former. Former head. Oh, yeah. You used to be, pal. You used to be. <laughs> Is he wearing Bermuda shorts? He's got on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And welcome to Wednesday, or as people who endured last week in the United States like to say, oh, my goodness, it's Wednesday and I'm not done yet. Isn't Does this week always drag? It's like, oh, we don't get a three-day week again. What's up with that? But we're going to help you through it today because, 
as Doug said, and we just said, we've got the former head of the NASDAQ, Robert Greifeld. Fantastic new book, OG, he's got out. We're going to talk to him about how he got hired and the early days of taking over and lessons he learned being on the being on the uh, on the front lines. I mean, th- there were very few people closer to that 2007-2008 crisis than him. What a mess that was, huh? Well, we talked to the woman, if you remember, a couple of years ago in the middle of it, Sheila Bear from FDIC. She was right in the middle of that stuff. So we've talked to one person closer, but not that many people. Hey, if you're looking for ways to level up what you know in 2019, heading into the new decade, you're going to want Skillshare. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Skillshare is offering Stacking Benjamins listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. Great way to begin the new year. Get signed up now. Decide what classes you're going to take now. Roll into the curriculum. Start off the new decade on the right foot. Robert Greifeld's here. We got great headlines. Phenomenal Haven Lifeline today. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from financialplanning.com. And this is written by Charles Packard. Financial Planning Magazine every year does a financial wellness report. And to get there, they survey a bunch of wealth managers. And the good news, OG, advisors this year, according to their piece, are giving their clients a vote of confidence. Uh, Charles writes, wealth managers surveyed in financial planning's latest financial wellness report gave clients high marks for saving for retirement, knowledge of fee structures, and familiarity with tax strategies, including capital gains, estate tax exemptions, and charitable contributions deductions. There was some concern, however, about clients' financial literacy and lack of adequate health and life insurance. I like the fact that people that are managing other people's money think that their clients are doing a pretty good job of of saving for retirement. When advisors bring it up that they need to save more, people are actually taking that advice. I think that's a win. Yeah, it might be a function of 10 years of the market going straight up though, right? It might be, but when you look your client in the eye and you say, hey, you know, we're $300 a month short. If we get X rate of return, we need to figure that out. And then walking through their budget, I can see a lot of people going, how am I going to make that happen? But largely people are doing it. Or at least trying, right? Or at least- That's the important thing, moving in the right direction. It's, you know, I think it's really important when it comes to that goal number, whatever it is. Sometimes you look at it, you said $300 a month. You might look at that and say, there's no way. I can't do $300 a month extra. I'm already stretched thin. Don't do 300, do 30 bucks. Do $7.50 a week. And then next week or next month, try to get that to 10 and then try to get to 15. We've said before, every six months go online and increase your 401k contribution by 1% just to see what happens. You know, your life expands into what your money is. And when you pay yourself first, whether it's through automatic contributions and deductions, or you do it from your bank account or systematic withdrawal into an investment account, you have a higher, much higher likelihood of reaching your long-term goals that way. I love that approach. And it's funny talking to, well, and you know what? I remember an interview with Tony Robbins where he said, you hear one quote guru say something, it might be a one-off, but you hear several people say something and you realize that it's a truth, that you just found a truth. And I just helped out a financial advisor, Don Dalby, 
with a uh, summit for women. If you're on her stacker email list, you got an email from me about it. It's just an awesome summit that she put on. But she and I, when we were talking, OG, same exact thing. She has never had a client come back to her after she said, hey, let's just try to save $50 a month, I think was her analogy. Let's try to save $50 a month more. She's never had a client come back to her ever who said, you know what? I got I to gotta re-lower that. I got to save less money. Pretty good track record for somebody who's been in the business over 20 years. Yeah, I don't know that I can say the same thing because I'm a little bit aggressive when it comes to savings because I think that's the other side of it too. You can always come back. Yeah. If you say, all right, fine, I'll try 500 a month and then you realize 500 can't work, come back to 300. That's why updating your financial plan on an ongoing basis is uh, really important. Back when I was a financial planner, it was it was the same. I had a few people that had to come back and lower it, but like they said, if you're doing this right and you're saving your money first into an emergency fund, just to see that you can flex that muscle, it's in a place where you can get it. If you structure your plan right, it's going to be great. If you're putting it all into your traditional IRA, <laughs> might be a problem. Our second headline comes to us from Investment News. You talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show, OG. This headline reiterates it. We want everybody to hear this. So no matter what you're doing, we want you to remember some of these things. I know that's why I know you don't want to learn anything listening to the show. That's not the point of it, but got something that you really want to be aware of. This is written by our friend Ed Slot. Watch out for the New Year IRA rollover tax trap. You mentioned this before, OG. Here's a rollover warning as we approach the new year, Ed writes. Use only direct trustee to trustee transfers when moving IRA funds to another IRA. This cannot be said enough, so here we go again. <laughs> Which is funny because we're bringing it up a second time. You brought it up, Ed reiterating what you said before. Advisors are still getting caught flat-footed when clients violate the once-a-year IRA rollover rule and in turn lose their IRA funds. Advisors need to educate clients on this harshly rigid rule for which there is no fix. <laughs> You need to pay attention. You really need to pay attention. The once-a-year IRA rollover rule only applies to indirect rollovers in which funds are withdrawn personally to be redeposited to another or the same IRA within 60 days of when the funds are received. This is what is commonly referred to as a 60-day rollover. So let's explain, OG, what's going on here. Explain to people uh, how this works. You got this old money sitting in an old 401k plan. You got a couple boxes you could check. Box one. Box two, one of those is right, Ed's saying, and you're saying one's wrong. Yeah, you want to do the trustee to trustee transfer. You want to transfer it from the company that it's at. So your 401k, or you, we were talking about IRAs, so let's just keep it with IRAs. Share your IRAs at Fidelity. You want to transfer it to TD Ameritrade. So you transfer it from Fidelity to TD, whereby you don't receive any of that money. So you do a trustee to trustee transfer. And that ensures that uh, there's no taxes, no penalties, and it's not a rollover. We use that word incorrectly, by the way. You know, we yeah. say, oh, I want to roll over my account. No, you want to do a direct trustee to trustee transfer of your account. A rollover, correctly used in the terminology, means that you got access to the money first. In very, very, very limited circumstances, this actually can make sense. But here's the catch. First of all, they're going to withhold 20% if you do a rollover. What that means is that you get access to the money. So you call Fidelity and say, I want to do a rollover to TD Ameritrade. They'll send you a check for 80 grand. You have 100,000 in your IRA. They'll send you a check for 80,000. You can do whatever the hell you want to do with that money. 
as long as by the 60th day, all 100,000 is back in the new place or the old place, wherever you want to put it. You say, well, but they only sent me 80. How do I put all 100 in? Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> You're correct. You have to come up with the other 20. Well, the, the IRS has it. Yeah, I know. You better have the extra money. Which is where people get really, really, really in trouble. And then here's the other side of that. Let's say you do all that. You can only do that once every 12 months. You keep on saying once a year. It's not a calendar year. It's once every 12-month period. So yeah. if your last rollover was November 19th the of clock, 2019. clock starts ticking right then. The next one you can do is in November of 2020, not before the 20th. It's always a good habit to ask the question, especially if you're doing a transfer from one company to another. Is this a trustee trustee transfer? Is it a rollover? Is there going to be any taxes or penalties? Anything I need to be aware of? Most of the time, it's coded correctly. But if you get a check from your IRA and it's made out to you, you better get on the phone in a hurry and solve that problem. The thing to remember, yeah, the time you know that you mess this up, OG, you get a letter in the mail, you open that thing up, and there is a check made out to you from your old IRA, and that's when you say, Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, immediately you want to have that redone. You don't want to do anything with the check, but send it back and yep, say, I need to redo this. Do not do anything. Do not pass go. I think that is lesson number one. Lesson number two is thinking about saving more money. Do what successful advisors do with their clients. Think about notching it up. It's beginning of the new month, OG. Raise those automatic savings. Give yourself a great holiday gift this holiday season and increased 1% in your 401k contributions. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Well, he's a guy historically who built and sold companies. He's a serial entrepreneur. He is a, a gentleman who was probably the least likely person to run an exchange. But in 2003, he was asked to apply for and then became CEO of this little organization called the NASDAQ Exchange. Robert Greifeld successfully ran that organization for a long period of time. And his new book is some phenomenal leadership lessons. But what's cool about Robert is that he likes to share where he learned those lessons from. And uh, some of the stories that, that Robert has are phenomenal. So let's hear some of them. Let's say hello to the man himself, Robert Greifeld, former CEO of the NASDAQ Stock Exchange, coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement... It's our new friend, Robert Griefeld. How are you, man? I'm glad to be here today. Well, I'm so happy that you're here with us. And thanks for taking time out on your busy book tour. I didn't realize when I first read about you that you're not really, I mean, you're a finance guy to some degree. You have to be because you are an entrepreneur, but you're a tech guy. In 2003, when you're being considered as the new CEO of the NASDAQ, did you feel surprised to be there because you weren't more of a numbers nerd? Yeah, I would say I was surprised because I was an unusual hire. 
and I did not come from a finance background, and I didn't go to the proper Ivy League schools. But it really was a testament, not so much to me, but to the board and to the private equity firm, which came from Silicon Valley, who soared through you know, kind of the branding, the imprimatur being an exchange, and say, wait a minute, we're a technology company, right? We have to process transactions very fast and, and very reliably and broadcast the result of those transactions to the world, right? It's beating hard as a technology company. So, yes, I was surprised. But if you thought about it, it did make a lot of sense. And the NASDAQ, for people that don't know, because there's some people that don't know a lot about the exchanges, Bob, they're not familiar with how the NASDAQ was such an innovator in the area of electronic trade execution. Can you explain the difference between the NASDAQ and the other exchanges like the NYSE or the American Exchange? I'd love to. So certainly when NASDAQ was started in 1971, they really blazed it frail. Every single exchange on the planet into that point in time was basically a floor base. And most of us have seen the movie Trading Places where people are shouting at each other. So that was quite efficient back in the day because you had people together who could shout at each other as opposed to being geographically dispersed. But obviously, computers and telecommunication technology had evolved to the point where Nasdaq said, we don't need that floor. We can actually do it better, quicker, right? Have, having people in San Francisco, Detroit, Texas, New York communicating electronically, right? You don't have to be together, and we'll be faster than the shouting. And so that's where NASDAQ started. So we truly were the innovator. And when you look at the exchanges around the planet today, it seems quite quaint to think of a trading floor because they all have essentially copied the NASDAQ model. When you, when you got there in 2003, though, it, it feels to me like the innovation, the innovative shine was kind of off. Uh, and you said you opened up your book by saying you thought you were six months too late, that it was going to be difficult to turn it around. What was your plan when you first got to NASDAQ and how bad really was it? Were you absolutely certain it was that it wasn't going to work? Well, I had been on the outside looking in, so I had the outsider's view of how poorly NASDAQ was run, right? It was run as part of the regulator. And I say poorly, I meant from the concept of responding to customer needs to being innovative in the marketplace. So the electronic upstarts had taken electronic trading a step beyond where NASDAQ was. And so when I got there in 2003, we didn't have any technology, believe it or not, to compete with the upstarts. Uh, we were losing market share every day and losing money every day. And we had a long list of critical path, life or death things that had to be done. Otherwise, our very existence was being challenged. I like the I like the leadership model that you discuss and you finish every chapter with a list of points for anybody who's leading, whether you're leading a family or leading a business. But you came to the table with a five-step turnaround. Tell me about that. As I said, it had been in the industry and I said, you really don't have any time to waste. You have to use the benefit of being in the industry, even though you aren't inside the four walls, to have a clear path of where you want to go. And that's what I communicated to the board when I was interviewing for the job. And that's what I actually did you know, when we first got there. So clearly, I knew, first and foremost, we had to start responding to customers' needs with respect to technology. We had to do it very quickly. We also had to establish a culture, a winning culture, where we'd not accept the fact we'd be number two to the New York Stock Exchange. We had to say, okay, we're out here to become 
the best exchange possible. What was interesting is I had a large number of people who had basically self-selected to work for the regulator. So I knew we had a cultural journey to undertake, and a lot of people were not going to be able to take that cultural journey with us. Well, when you say cultural journey, this was incredibly difficult, I have to imagine, because a lot of CEOs, Bob, go in and you hear about a listening campaign, right? They go and they visit the different areas and they listen. You went in on the first day and had to let people go. Yeah, well, I, I didn't. I had to let it go for us to be competitive. So I knew, one, that when I was coming there, everybody was getting ready to come up with their arguments where the status quo was the way it had to be. And I did not want to take six months to get into a listening tour, understanding the various points of view. So before eight o'clock that first day, I fired two members, uh, two direct reports of the senior staff. And what happened as a result of that is all those discussions that they thought they were going to have about where we're going as an organization stopped immediately and they had to listen. And I said, okay, this is the way we're doing it. It is quite autocratic, but it's quite the right answer for that particular point in time. As we go through the journey, we became more communal in terms of how we came up with decisions. But in the beginning, I really didn't have that kind of latitude, right? We had to move quickly. I could not get involved with dealing with the employees, how NASDAQ had been in the past. This was a clean break. We're going forward. We went from a regulatory culture to a for-profit culture, customer-driven culture. We're going to weigh, measure, and count everything. It was going to be a meritocracy in terms of how the people performed, and it was going to be performance-based in terms of how you get paid. One of your reports said she went in to meet with you. I believe it was on that first day, maybe in the first week. And she reported later, she said that she thought that she was interviewing for her job and she got halfway through and realized she was re-interviewing for this job she had. It must have been each of those meetings for you and the people must have been incredibly uncomfortable. Well, it was. And certainly when people get summoned to the office, they thought they were getting fired because of what happened in the first couple of weeks. So we had to get past that. That's not a way to manage over time, but it was mission accomplished in terms of people then said, okay, we're moving forward. And the person you mentioned who thought she was interviewing for her job, she actually was. And that's Adina Friedman, who became my successor in time. So she continued to interview. And obviously, you know, what was great about changing the culture, you revealed people who were buried in the organization who were going to thrive in the new world. And Adina certainly thrived. I want to pause here for a second because I don't want this point to be lost on our listeners you talk a lot early about the importance of the team and, and, and having the right culture. And we talk about that a lot in financial planning, as, as you know, Bob. You have to have the right people at your table or you're not going to make good decisions. Completely. I had the entire company read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And one of the key points in that book is that you have to have the right people on the bus. And I would hand out little plastic buses the people who came to the employee lunch. And I'm a firm believer that you'd need to have the one, three, five-year strategic plan, but I know, absolutely guarantee know that that plan will be wrong, right? Because the world will change in unforeseen ways. So the right people on the bus will have a plan, but they know the plan has to change and they have to be able to change the plan as you go along. So the way you describe your job today will not be the way the job is in six months or 12 months. That's why you have to have the right people who can adopt quicker than the competition, 
respond to the customer's evolving requirements. You also make a big point of having good people, but listening to them. And you had what I thought was a pretty unique uh, structure of listening to, to people. You had debates. Can you talk about that as a piece of your culture at the NASDAQ? Yeah, but the world you live in is never, never black and white. And I wish our politicians would understand. I was going to say that as uh, I was reading this, yeah. Bob, not to cut you off. I was wishing not just politicians, but people that follow politics thought that there's some right. gray ground. We don't have good guys and bad guys. There's truth in the middle. It, there always is. It's always a shade of gray that you have to hear, that you have to decide upon. So you need to hear both sides of the of the aisle, so to speak. And then you weigh the relative pluses and minuses. It's never 100% good, 100% bad. I always thought it was important to understand the other side of the equation, and we would have great Socratic debates in terms of what were the pluses and minuses. Sometimes they got heated, but then people feel a sense of buy-in, and the most important thing is once you make the decision, the discussion is over and we're in execution mode, right? And I think to the extent you vet the discussions you know, more fully, then everybody buys into the execution mode. You mentioned Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and how that helped shape your reshaping of the NASDAQ. Are there any other books that really shaped your career? Well, I was an English undergraduate major, so we don't have to go there. But there are secret uh, Bob Dylan references and Jack Kerouac (laughs) references throughout the book and some others. So they're in there for those who care to pay attention to them there. So I, I would say this. You know, in my early days, I read a lot of business books. And then in my later days, I obviously thought I should write a business book at time because I obviously did. But, you know, the thought that always struck with me is one of the early books I read was uh, about Bill Gates. And this is Bill Gates early in his career. And in it, he said that he had never succeeded in anything he tried the first time he tried. And it was always about persistence. So that, you know, really was a guiding principle to me, because at the end of the day, success is, I think, defined by, you know, perseverance. The difference between success and failure is two sides of a very thin dime. You are not preordained to succeed. You are not preordained to fail. Right. So constant effort, repeated effort. That's how you win. You obviously, on a daily basis, met with a lot of uh, different CEOs, and you tell some of these stories. How many? Speaking of Bill Gates, how many times did you meet Bill? We had the great opportunity of attending the Microsoft CEO Summit, and the highlight of that trip was then he would host a get together at his house, uh, which is you know a unique experience. I, I probably was there you know eight or ten times really, and so you know I'd see Bill once a year. Any specific insights from Bill specifically that you like, besides the one that you mentioned in the book about his career? When you listen to Bill talk and go through a variety of topics, you realize, to me, you realize that it's the broad base of understanding that puts things in context and allows you to make the proper decision. So I always would make sure that I would not narrow cast on a particular set of facts, right? You have to have a model of the world that you in your head and all the different dimensions of it. And Bill has it in a obviously more comprehensive view than I do. But when I try to make a decision, you say, why is this decision wise? Why am I going to be smart about it? And you hear a lot of leaders talking about making decisions from the gut. 
And I think that's almost true. It feels at the end state like it came from the gut, but it really is a reflection of the great big data database you build up in your head and you put some artificial intelligence, in this case, natural intelligence on top of it that gives you the, you know, the aha moment in terms of what the right path is there. Well, it's funny so when I... Well, when you talk about instinct, you talk about this a little bit in the book about as a runner, you you draw on your days as a runner to talk about instinct, about how it isn't just your gut. It also is this collection of you've run before, you've run the race before. You use a lot of running analogies. <laughs> Some. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything else. You run your first marathon, you don't know if you can get past mile 20. Uh, then mile 21, mile 22, you run your second, then you have greater confidence in uh, and you know you're going to get there. It's not making it any less painful, uh, uh, per se. But what I think you see is the persistence of thought that I never thought, you know, things come easy. It's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a struggle. It's not a victory lap. And you don't succeed the first time. You don't necessarily succeed the second time. You learn and you keep going and you keep getting better. You tell quite a few great stories about CEOs. I won't have time. I really want to talk about when you met Howard Schultz. I thought that was very, very interesting, your discussion with him about the the NASDAQ versus the NYSE. But very early in your career, you met this guy named Jeff. Tell me about that. Well, this is interesting. This is actually before my NASDAQ days. I was a software entrepreneur, and I was essentially the uh, uh, the person who did most of the demonstrations, especially to senior people. And back in the day, we'd have a 20-inch cathode ray tube monitor. Remember the old yeah, TVs? Yeah, yeah. It was basically that. So I'd be lugging it around in this big gray case, coming into the office, and then setting up. And so I get into this really tiny office, and the guy behind the desk says, don't bother setting it up. Just tell me what the software does. And that was unusual because this was not a piece of middleware. It was actually software that was very screen-dependent. We had a mouse. You had to go through the different functions it did through the screen so you know really was going to be hard to show it but i said well if i do it this way i don't have to unpack the machine right and try to fit it into this very small office so why why not do it so i start explaining what the software does stumbling along trying to figure it out but then gaining some confidence and as i thought i was explaining it better i look up and the fellow behind the desk is his eyes closed and I said, oh, this is interesting. I think he's sleeping. But then like 30, 30 seconds later, he asked me a very pertinent question. And so we spent, you know, the better part of an hour doing this where he would be leaning back in his chair and every so often, you know, from closed eyes, uttering a question. And then, you know, that person was uh, and is Jeff Bezos. And Jeff at that point was in a small office working for D.E. Shaw, just a, a guy around. And it dawned on me that he was a pure visionary and his visionary skills were allowing him to visualize what my screen-based software was doing. And Mackenzie was in the next office and it was interesting. And obviously I think he's done okay in life. I think he's, I think he's going to be all right. You know, if he could be okay, (laughs) a few billion dollars, he can't live on it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's been over a decade since the, uh, the Lehman brothers collapse and, uh, all the ensuing madness after that. Tell me about being on the ground, being right there in the middle of it. What did that feel like on a daily basis? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was in a garden party, literally in uh, Westchester County that Sunday afternoon. And the host was a, uh, 
woman CEO and her firm was Frontier Communications. It was Maggie Wilderotter. And we were trying to get her to switch her listing from the New York Stock Exchange uh, to NASDAQ. And also I had great affection for her. So we were at a house for a party and it was beautiful. Uh, dappled sunlight coming into the trees. And then the news was breaking as the party waxed on. And then everybody in the party looked for me for some insight. And I said, well, I don't know, but this is serious. It's real. And we're going to be on for a wild ride. So I think Hank Paulson did a phenomenal job uh, with others steering us through the credit crisis. But you know, you could definitely reflect back and say there must have been some way to save Lehman. And what happened when Lehman failed is the entire credit market froze ground to a halt. What happens with the credit market, once you lose that trust, I'm not going to do a trade with you. You won't want to do one with me. And everybody looks to the other as if they might be the next Lehman. So the market froze up and it devolved to the point where the only valid counterparty where you trade with would be one that had to back in the U.S. government. Essentially, the U.S. government became the only counterparty. So that was the world we live in. And it's really impossible to overstate what might have happened you know, to uh, not just the financial world, but the real world, if this thing had not been spoken to quite forcefully. A lot of people during that time were calling for short sellers to be reined in. In fact, you even say in your book that Jim Cramer was one of the big names saying, hey, we have to somehow put a cap on the people short selling because that that was seemed to be accelerating it, I remember at the time. How did you feel about that being a guy sitting on top of the exchange? I always had a lot of fun when I had to have my philosophical beliefs run into pure pragmatism. So philosophically, we believe that short selling was good for the market. And this is one situation where every academic would agree with us, right? Because if you can only buy and you can't express your uh, desire, you know, belief that this stock should be lower, then obviously you're going to have inflated values in, in the marketplace. And so we were against banning of short selling. It's kind of a, you know, a religious feeling. But that one day, I'm in my office with Chris Kincannon, who ran transaction for the business, and we see Morgan Stanley and Goldman cratering, right, where it could go under. And, you know, with great fear, we look at each other. We say, well, it could be time to just let's take a chance and get rid of short selling for a short period of time because what's the greater harm, right, at, at, at this point? So it's always fun to say, okay, we – knew philosophically, academically we were right, but we did what was pragmatic at the moment. And as you might guess, a year later, as you had the ability to study the data, which the great thing about the financial markets is every transaction is more memorialized so you can recreate things. The short selling ban didn't actually do anything and Morgan and Goldman continue to have problems, but it did feel right right at the moment. Everybody asks uh, people questions about where do you think the market's going next, right? It seems like whenever whenever I'm on television, I'm asked that. I don't want to ask you that, though. You're one of the few people I can ask, where do you think the exchanges go from here? We know where it's been. What do exchanges like the NASDAQ do next? What do you see as the future of the exchange? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I could tell you exactly where the market's going to go in the next <laughs> day, week, and month. But if you people don't want to know, then that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Save that okay. for your second time on. Yeah. So I would say this. You know, Back in 2003, 2005, exchanges were quite 
similar. And now you're seeing diverging of the business models. So when I long-term mission of NASDAQ was to continue uh, to think of ourselves as a technology company, we built a very successful technology practice over the years. We provide uh, the core infrastructure to over 200 exchanges around the planet. We provide surveillance systems to the regulators, uh, to the banks and the broker-dealers. So that's kind of something uniquely NASDAQ does, and other exchanges have chosen different paths. So you see the exchanges as they get bigger and, and successful that they do different things. But you know the core value, uh, think about it for your listeners, is the exchanges in the U.S. are at the tip of the sphere with respect to what's required in transaction processing. We broke uh, the millisecond barrier probably almost 10 years ago, where it would take us less than a millisecond to execute an order, right? Now we're way beyond that, right? We're, we're not at the picosecond, but we're getting down to the nanosecond using hardware accelerators. So you have this great knowledge, this great IP you build up you know, to manage your core business. Then the question is, how do you lever that into adjacencies? And certainly, I think that's what you see. You got, you know, you're, you're at the tip of the sphere for technology. Let's use that in other ways, right? Because, you know, if you go to other parts of the world, you're either five, ten, fifteen, or twenty years ahead of them with respect to what, to what we're doing in the states. That gives you great opportunities to really bring value to these other countries, and you know, you feel pretty good about doing that. That's exciting. The book is called Market Mover, Lessons from a Decade of Change at NASDAQ. I, I couldn't put it down between laughing and crying and learning some, <laughs> learning some phenomenal lessons about leadership in life. Bob Greifeld, thanks for hanging out with us. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and thank you so much for holding it together, people. While Robert Greifeld was here, I, I think he was impressed by the operation. You know, the, the shag carpet and Joe's mom's cookies always impress. So now it's time for me to return the favor and impress you with my trivia. Here's your question. What supermodel business person and television personality who, by the way, turns 46 years old today, was the first of African-American descent to appear on the covers of both GQ and Sports Illustrated. Oh yeah, want some financial details? Yeah, you know, she's also worth well over $90 million. I'll have your answer in just a moment. Skillshare, Skillshare, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Maybe it's uh, close to how many? Tens of thousands because there are lots and lots of classes on Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. I am diving back in to design again as we design new stuff for the new decade. And I'd like to tell you what it is, but I think it's going to be more fun not telling you what it is as we make some changes. We've been making changes lately to the website and using Skillshare classes for that. We also now are digging into some of our promotional things. And of course, we announced on Monday that OG has a new podcast coming. So there's some more design stuff. Even though we'll work with professionals to get it done, we still want to know how it works. And that's where Skillshare comes in. You can take classes and everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity, financial planning, getting your budget in order, getting out of debt, accounting, 
all kinds of geeky stuff, no matter what your geekery might be. So whether you're returning to a longtime passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. Join millions of students already using Skillshare today, including us, with a special offer just for stackers. Two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Stacky Benjamin's listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, here's what you do. You go to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. That's how you get the two months. Again, Skillshare.com forward slash SB to start your two months now. Skillshare.com slash SB. What's up, trivia junkies? I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed that it's National Cookie Day. That explains Joe's mom's cookie. So grab yourself one of Joe's mom's delicious chocolate chip morsels and dive into today's question, which was this. What supermodel who turns 46 years old today and is well worth over $90 million was the first of African-American descent to appear on the covers of both GQ and Sports Illustrated? If you said Happy birthday today to Tyra Banks. You'd be correct. Plus, that would mean you probably know her if you saw her. Anyway, to celebrate, I left a voicemail with her agent to invite her right down here in my sizzler. So why don't you uh, all just come along and we'll see if we can score a free appetizer for her birthday. Hey, go Tyra. See you there. Big thanks to Robert Greifeld for hanging out. I love meeting Jeff. Hey, Jeff. What's up, Jeff? <laughs> and to Robert's point, Jeff is doing okay now. Jeff Jeff yeah, turned out all right. He figured it out. Yeah, everything, everything was good. Just such a fun guy to talk to. You know, you meet some people who had these incredible positions that I just can't imagine the amount of pressure that he was under, especially, you know, talking there about 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. just the huge amount of pressure and just what a personable guy and comfortable guy to be around. But then I think again, OG, most of these people, that's how they got there, right? I mean, I think of them as hard-nosed and driving and whatever from movies, but I don't think that most of these people, as we get to know them through these interviews that we do, get to those spots by being people that other people aren't going to like. Well, I mean, I think that's true for anything, right? Can't be a jack wagon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But how many, how many of these people have you heard? Oh, they're hard to get along with. They're whatever. I don't know. I think those people are more the outliers than, yeah. than people like Bob. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Snow cones and peanut butter sandwiches. I can get snow cones right outside my door now for the next ah, few months. For free. It's incredible. Don't eat the yellow snow. That is the key. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get your free quote. And today we're throwing out the lifeline to our new friend, Mark. Say hi, Mark. Don't say your t-shirt size. Don't say your t-shirt size. Oh, is this on? Hey, Joe and OG. I had a question about emergency funds. I'll spare you the overview of my personal finances, but if I were calling a guy in Tennessee, I would get to scream on air. Unfortunately, I like your show better than his, so I'm leaving you a voicemail where I won't get to do my Jamie Lee Curtis impersonation. Anyway, I keep about one paycheck in a savings account, and I keep the rest of my six months' worth of expenses 
and my credit union's promotional 15-month 3.5% CD. I'm pretty strict about what I consider an emergency, and I wrong to assume that if a real emergency presents itself, I won't mind forfeiting some or all of the interest to get my funds back. Am I underestimating the penalty and hoops I'd have to jump through? Thanks for hearing me out. Anyone who says that they don't learn anything on this show has never heard of a negative role model. By the way, I'm a size... Wait, wait, wait. No, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> a negative role model. Thanks for the question, Mark. And and first of all, listen, if anybody wants to call up and do their debt-free scream, I, just go for it, man. Just don't do it. Just, just wail away. Feel free. Get it out. That's fine. Then hit record. <laughs> right after. Right afterwards. <laughs> scream. Record. Do the whole thing. Then hit record. Yes. And then and then we can help. Everybody wins. We're all yeah, a winner. Exactly. Then. exactly. Yeah. Record them in two separate files. Email is the one without you screaming. <laughs> one paycheck. OG is in a place where he can get it right away. The rest is out of the market in that CD, but he's getting a way higher interest rate than he would get in, in just yeah. a regular money market. What do you think of that approach? Well, I might be a little bit more conservative and maybe have two months or three months worth of paychecks in that uh, kind of liquid uh, cash account. You can find a middle ground between the nothing you get from checking and the three and a half percent you're getting for the CD you know, by just finding a high yield savings account somewhere. But all of that would, I guess, depend on how stable your job is. Everybody's job is really stable until it's not. But some of us have a little bit more stable positions than others. And so if that's the case, then maybe you're okay with that. As far as your question around how to access the CD and how complicated it would be, it's not complicated at all. Probably do it online. And yeah, you'll forfeit some interest, several months worth. Um, might be a penalty or something like that involved. But if you are really in a world of hurt and you have a big emergency, you're right. You probably wouldn't care about the little bit of interest that you're going to forfeit. Uh, you'll be happy that you've got the money set aside. So if you're concerned about that, one of the things you might consider doing is um, adding a little bit more to that kind of middle ground or spreading that 15-month CD out, I think is what he said, the time frame was, spread that 15-month CD out over different intervals of time. What I mean is, is let's say that every um, five months, you take a third of that and buy a 15-month CD. So at least you know that every five months, a third of your cash reserve becomes available and then just automatically rolls back into another 15-month CD. And after you do that for a little over a year and a quarter, every five months thereafter, you know, you could do it every three months, you could do it every month, you know, so you have one fifteenth of your cash reserve available every month. Uh, so a lot of different ways to do that, but that might be a different way to ladder it, so to speak. I love those ideas. Fantastic. And uh, ditto. You could have dropped the mic at the end of that, OG. Thank you. Because uh, nothing to add. Thanks for the question, Mark. You got a question for us and you want OG's brilliance, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and uh, you too can avoid telling us your t-shirt size because Gertrude, mom's friend Gertrude, is going to send you a code for that, and you get to pick out whatever size you want, unless you're just bragging. If you're just bragging about your t-shirt size, well then, go ahead and say it. Medium. <laughs> no, no downsides to that. XXXXXXXL for me. All right, that's going to do it for today. Big thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you so much for taking time and spending time with us. We always 
enjoy the notes we get. We enjoy the time for people that hang out with us in our Facebook group or our Instagram page or our Twitter feeds. We have so much fun hanging out with you guys and making the show. And we we just want to let you know that we very much, much appreciate it. We also appreciate people that leave us reviews. In fact, uh, mom's got this one on the fridge today. I don't know if you saw this one, OG, uh, as you were coming downstairs. Five stars from John Real Guy. Great show, equally great community. It says the show's funny and informative, but you're missing out if you don't check out the Stacky Benjamin's Basement community as well. Five stars. He likes the whole package. Um, and I do too. Lots of funny stuff. By the way, if you don't like bad dad jokes, you can't hang out in the basement because sometimes even I think, I'm like, you know, we could probably have uh, a few less dad jokes, a few fewer dad jokes. I agree. There are some days where you just kind of shake your head yes, and go, that was an amazing joke <laughs> and I'm totally going to use it. And then the next day, it's all just financial planning talk. It's like a dumb and dumber. He's <laughs> where he trades the van in for the scooter. He's like, you know, Lloyd. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! (laughs) (laughs) Still want to go to Aspen? Oh, yeah! Okay, let's go, buddy! All right, Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned today? So, what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Bob Greifeld. Surround yourself with good people first and then work your plan. Having a fantastic team will help you raise your game as a leader, no matter whether you're leading a family or a team at work. Second, that old IRA? Do a custodial transfer. Do not get a check sent to yourself. That can end up a very expensive mess. With a transfer, money goes directly to your new and hopefully better IRA plan. But the big lesson? Don't go through Tyra Banks' agent to invite her to the Sizzler to celebrate her birthday. That agent is horrible. I called seven times in 20 minutes, and apparently that's frowned upon. Who knew? Well, uh, that, that means we might need a more reliable way to reach the supermodel. Hey, Tyra, I know you're a big fan of the show, so uh, come meet us for appetizers and drinks down at the Sizzler. I'll save you a seat, you know, uh, next, next to me, because that's who I am. I'm a giver. Special thanks to Robert Greifeld for joining us on today's show. His book, Market Mover, is available wherever books are sold. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and... I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. There are some rules here. We haven't gone over these in a while, so pay attention, new kids. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. We don't talk about it. We have had people once in a while have decided they have to talk about it because what we discuss here is so compelling. And by compelling, I don't mean financial talk because rarely will we talk finance at this part of the show. So if you're only here for that, uh, we'll see you next time. But for those people that want to hang out a little further, we often talk about movies we see and we'll play the uh, audio from the trailer from it. We will talk about things that happen. Stuff. We just talk about stuff, right? And the current stuff, OG gets to see all the good movies because he's got uh, kids. This is a little movie from Disney called Frozen 2. Far away, as north as we can go, once stood an enchanted forest. You've seen an enchanted forest? Yes, it was a magical place, but something went wrong. Since then, no one can get in or out. Papa, that was epic. What would I do without you? You'll always have me. Has Elsa seemed weird to you? She seems like Elsa. There's this voice. Voice? What does that mean? And Elsa seems kind of weird. And uh, so we're back in the world of Frozen. And uh, take it from here, man. Is that the actual trailer? That is a trailer. It didn't sound like any of the people. Well, it looks like the people. Hmm. <laughs> if only weird. you could see in, in, in this audio podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, weird. Uh, this picks up about six years after. Not six years. That's not true. They say they reference six years. They said it's been six years since their parents died. So it's six years since the parents died. So if you haven't seen Frozen One, sorry, spoiler alert, parents died. <laughs> I'm terrible <laughs> shipwreck. But it kind of picks up after Elsa's been queen for a while and um you learn more about the family, the history, kind of how uh uh what's the name of their town? Uh Frozen Town. Frozenville, 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 Frozenopolis. Yes. Frozenopolis. Yeah. How it came to be and and kind of the ancestry of the the queen and helps frame the story of how they got to where they are. Not nearly as good as Frozen 1, but uh, it's a Disney movie, so lots of people are going to see it. My daughter sat there and tried to sing along with every song, which feels like the first like 45 minutes is is a musical. There's very little dialogue. It seems like everything is a show tune. Catchy, anyway, catchy so. songs like the first one. No, there's a real funny part toward the end where the let it go is being played again. And they riff on that for a, just a brief second. And uh, you can catch it. Of course, there's plenty of like parent stuff in there. If you can pay attention, you will get like a lot of stuff. The winner out of all of this is the snowman, Olaf. Is the uh, is the key personality, I think, and uh, he's the funny guy. But uh, anyway, so go see Frozen Two. You're going to see it anyway, so you might as well get it over with. <laughs> might, might, as, might as well. I got uh, because we did those Adventures by Disney trips. Disney sent us to quote free tickets to it 
Uh, so Cheryl and I are going to go see it. Uh, for the only catch is you have to do it on a Disney cruise, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is not free. We're required to see it in Italy. Uh, and only if we go with a guide. No, yes. we, uh, well, I did air quotes for free because, uh, we paid a lot for that Disney trip. So sure. Not, not really free, but it was nice. It was cool. Uh, we've gotten tickets to a few movies because we did the adventures by Disney. We had tickets to Coco and also tickets to, uh, the Mary Poppins movie and Coco was phenomenal. And if you remember the Mary Poppins movie, not so much. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender